0: Good morning everyone. Philip is continuing his teaching series in the book of Philippians and today we're in chapter 2 verses 1 through 11. I'll give you a minute to turn there. Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 through 11. If any of you have encouragement from being united with Christ If any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Say what? that's not in the text. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of the Lord Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or held on to, but he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, And under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and thank you that the Lord Jesus took on human form, obedient to you, had a servant's heart. And we pray, Lord, that as a result of Philip's teaching and your spirit working in our hearts, that we would adopt the same mindset of joy and a heart of service for you. And we pray, Lord, in your name, amen.
1: Thanks, John. This passage, (laughs) you know, I guess every preacher would say, oh, this is a great passage, but this one is at the height of scripture, thinking about who Jesus is and what that means to our life as those who trust Him. We need to stand firm together. It's kind of the subject of Philippians, remember, stand firm. And to do that, we have to have a unified purpose. And to do that, we have to be humble. And we have to face difficult circumstances and uncertain situations with full assurance and with humility that brings unity. You've all probably experienced situations in your lives where pride and division just ruin either a goal, a project at work, a family evening, even break apart a relationship. I think about in the news, FTXs, cryptocurrency, the massive collapse, the hundreds of millions of dollars. I was reading about that a couple weeks ago, and it just seemed relevant to this. You know, reading the emails and that stuff, pride was at the core of so much that happened in that collapse. There was infighting because of pride, there was division, and then people lost hundreds of millions of dollars. Whether it's at that level or at your local fast food restaurant, having worked at one, I know what happens when there's fighting because of pride, thinking someone knows what they're doing and they don't. And then you get in a fight and someone walks off the job and there are people in the drive-through waiting 30 minutes. Tell me you haven't been there for your food, right? That kind of pride. So at the height of human achievement, to maybe the lowest, if you will, though it is a great place to learn, fast food restaurant. In my experience, though, there's one thing that I remember most about pride and division and fighting. Uh, I'm a Cubs fan. I grew up near Chicago, (laughs) and my grandpa and I watched it regularly. And there was one afternoon, Friday, June 1st, I had to go look this up, in 2007, Um, There was a pitcher, Carlos Zambrano. He was pretty good. The Cubs made the playoffs that year. They lost in the first round. Typical Cubs stuff. And a catcher named Michael Barrett. And you could tell. So it was actually his pitcher's 21st birthday. Um, And you could tell that things weren't quite right from the beginning. And there was some miscommunication between catcher and pitcher. And it just heightened. And it heightened. And they pulled him out after five innings. He gave up seven runs and 15 hits in five innings. That's a terrible outing. So during the commercial break, uh, and they replayed it later, the catcher and the pitcher walk to the dugout, and they start to talk to each other. And you can tell it's not a friendly conversation. And this pitcher was known for his pride. he got mad at people before, so they're thinking, oh, maybe they're just going to, you know, talk to each other. Well, the pitcher turns around and punches his catcher in the face, and they fight, and because of that man's pride, I get it, right? We all can understand that. You have a terrible outing on your birthday. You know what? It wasn't a few days later and they traded the catcher. <laughs> Seriously. Um, but I think that, those illustrations help us to understand, help us to get in the mindset to, to really hear from God in Philippians chapter 2 what he wants us to hear. And we can recognize quite clearly that humility is absolutely necessary for unity, and for the advance of the gospel in our lives. If we don't have humility, we will not honor God. And so, kind of reviewing, going back to our catchphrases, I won't do the motions here. Um, Sorry, Will, David, I love you. But we have joy from progress. The joy that comes from the progress of faith, the advancement of the gospel. We have the unity that comes from humility. And then we haven't touched on this, though we have Briefly talked about it, Christ above all, pursuing Jesus Christ as the purpose of our life. That's where we're at today, though, unity from humility. Hope that's helpful. Just a reminder, you can listen to the whole book of Philippians in somewhere around sixteen minutes. Hope you're doing that and getting God's word in your heart. This is how I see the book of Philippians before we dive into chapter two today. And so the Philippians would stand firm if they follow the pattern of joyful humility set out by others. Today, I want to dive into that humility first in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 2. And here, I want to talk about what humility is. It it needs a definition because it's one of those things a little bit like joy or when we're in Micah, justice that is hard to describe and we need to define it. I want to go over then after that the greatest example of humility and look at the parts of humility in action. And so in 1 through 4, just want to kind of break down the text with you. I find this helpful to do myself. It begins with all these if statements, right? If there is, if there is, right? Several of them. I read that as kind of like since or because. Now, it loses a little bit of the force if we say since or because instead of if. Because I think if you go back to Paul's situation in Acts 16 and then his current situation there's this idea of doubt about prison what's going to come from my imprisonment right how are you feeling about your situation and my situation there's a little bit of doubt maybe some people aren't actually encouraged by christ but i think it's because you know there's encouragement in christ you know there's comfort from his love for you you know there's participation in the spirit fellowship in the spirit because of these And that's like chapter one. If you remember in chapter one, you have to have this relationship with Jesus Christ before you can really rejoice in the advance of the gospel. And that's where he starts here. He's saying, remember your relationship with the Lord Jesus. Because of that, you're going to be able to be humble in what I'm going to tell you next. So that's why I have it like there. And he says, complete my joy by being unified. Completing his joy. And that is the connection Back to the previous chapter and that theme, that joyful theme of all of Philippians, rejoicing in the advancement of the gospel. He says, complete it. It's an interesting way to talk to someone who you're trying to encourage and challenge. The church will fall if they aren't humble, if they're not joyful in their humility. And so he says, humbly consider others. How are you going to complete my joy? How are you going to be unified? by humbly considering others more important than yourselves and looking to others and yourself. The word interest actually isn't there. So it's interesting. He it says, look not only to yourself, look to others. I think It means everything. Their mental state, help them, encourage them, provide for their physical needs. If they need a ride, do it, whatever it is, look to others, not only to yourself. Whatever that is. All right. I want to dive now into those things that I promised earlier. And I want to start with this word consider. Consider or count. I did a little word play there. Humility counts for a lot. It does. What does counting or considering mean in Philippians chapter 2? Well, I want to start this way. It's funny how kids place a very high value on things. They count or consider things that aren't really worth the value they place on them. One of those things that I'm sure we've all had in the past in our own childhood is a stuffed animal of some sort, right? So Hezekiah has this dog that is beat up. He's had it since he was born. It's nine years old now. He had a birthday this week. That thing has been puked on, spit on, spit up on, drug in the dirt, put in places you wouldn't even want to imagine, and I can't tell you from the pulpit, and (laughs) kissed by innumerable sick kids. But he loves it. And then out of, a, out of a wonderful gift to his brother, he let Shepherd have it. There is a great worth that he puts on that stuffed animal. Think about it in your own life. Maybe there's like some keepsake that you have that means nothing to someone else, but to you it has a lot of value. You count that. You consider it as worthy. Maybe it's a present from your mom who's since passed away to go be with the Lord. Or maybe it's some collection that you have that no one else really cares about, but you do that is the force of this word consider as worthy other people maybe they aren't even worth it humanly speaking maybe they're like that stuffed animal that word is 28 times in the new testament in second thessalonians 3:15, he says that if they don't obey me you should consider them not an enemy You see that kind of upside-down thinking there? There's a couple more I want to show you. But that consider word, though, if they don't obey Paul, they might be like your enemy, kind of, because they're not obeying the Lord. He says, don't consider them an enemy. The similar use of that is in Acts 26, verse 2. And here's Paul imprisoned with King Agrippa, and he says, you know what? I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today. Okay, does he? (laughs) only in the sense that it's worth it for the advancement of the gospel. Are you hearing chapter 1 now, considering it important that he was in jail for the advancement of the gospel? Maybe it's not even true. This, this word is actually used five times in Philippians. In 2.3, two, two, 2.5, 2.25, so three times in our chapter. And that's why I'm kind of talking about it today. Three times in chapter 2, three, seven, and 8. I want to talk about another connection, though, because I see this as important here. In Hebrews 11.26, the author says that Moses considered scorn better than the wealth that he could have in Egypt. Now, that really pinpoints it for us. When you're thinking about this consider, it is something that may not be true. In other words, that person that God is asking you to consider in humility as worthy and as important, if not more important than yourself, may not be that way at all. And that reshapes relationships. It's counting with eyes of faith and looking at that person the way God does and loving them despite all their faults in humility. That is the kind of considering that is done by faith and trusting that the Lord wants you to do that kind of thing, to consider them worthy like an old stuffed animal. All right. Humility. (laughs) Who is worthy to talk about humility? (laughs) In the Scripture, it's a huge theme. And in Philippians, it's the core of his argument in chapter 2. It says, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. And this is a hard word to define, like I said earlier. Um, It's metaphorically used of lowering yourself to the position that's right. Right? right? Bringing down, a bringing down usually. But it's more important, I think, to look at the context of chapter two in Philippians, isn't it? To define the word. If we're reading Philippians two, what does it mean in Philippians two? Well, it's the opposite of selfish ambition. And it's the opposite of conceit. It's considering others more important than ourselves, considering others rightly in light of Christ and our relationship with him. I'm going to hit on this later, but man, if we look at the Lord Jesus and how sinful we really are and what he's done for us, we can't help but be humble. And that's the core of it. Remember, because you have this relationship with Jesus, because of what he's done for you, and Paul's going to go there, but I want to read some definitions that I find helpful. I have several people here who are smarter and wiser than I am who really help us, I think, understand what humility is. Um, the first one is uh, Moises Silva, who I think wrote the best commentary on Philippians. Just a side note, there are a lot of great resources out there that you can look at. This guy is excellent on the book of Philippians. He says this, The true obstacle to unity is not the presence of legitimate differences of opinion, but of self-centeredness. Shifting attention away from ourselves becomes the challenge. And he references First 1 Corinthians 10.24 there. And so that, I think, is a great way to think. The obstacle to unity is not the presence of legitimate differences. We can have differences of opinion, of theology, but in order to have unity, we have to think less of ourselves. It's not focusing on ourselves, it's focusing on the Lord. Tim Keller says, The essence of gospel humility, and I'm quoting here, is not thinking more of myself or, hear this, thinking less of myself, it is thinking of myself less. John Piper's short definition is the opposite of entitlement. He's usually long-winded, so there, there you go. That's a good one, the opposite of entitlement. But the best one I found is Charles Spurgeon. Man, it is an excellent way of thinking about humility. This is what he says. It's a little hard because it's some older English, but he says, now let us briefly inquire in the first place, what is humility? Humility. The best definition I have ever met is to think rightly of ourselves. To think rightly of ourselves. Humility is to make a right estimate of oneself. It is no humility for a man to think less of himself than he ought, though it might rather puzzle him to do that. Humility is to think of yourself if you can as God thinks of you, is to feel that if we have talents, God has given them to us. And let it be seen that like freight in a vessel— they tend to sink us low. The more we have, the lower we ought to lie. He's saying that God gives it to us anyway. Why, why do we get proud about the gifts that God has given us, the things in life? It's all His. It all belong to Him. Think about a car that needs fixing. If you were to come to me to get your car fixed, that would be a very poor choice. <laughs> I once tried to fix my Eagle Talon. Uh, it had a leaky head gasket. Some of you heard this before. Uh, I not only took two months to try to fix it, but I ruined the timing. My parents remember this well. Then I had to go to a shop and pay them several thousand dollars to fix it. If I, could, if I was to tell you that when your car was broken that I could fix it, that would be pride. <laughs> There's just no way that's ever happening, even with YouTube videos. That would be pride if I said yes. On the other hand, let's say you were to take it to Mihai Nadelku. I told him I was going to talk about him. Man, he is great at fixing cars. I'm sure many of you had a car fixed by him. And he said no because of a false sense of humility. He's like, oh, you know, I might wreck it. Like, I just don't know if I know exactly that model and make of car. But I can't really help you. And he could help you. That would also be pride. Viewing ourselves rightly in light of the gifts and talents that God has given us, is what humility is. Don't come to me to fix your car. Go to high. and if he rejects you, that would be pride. Think about that in your own life. Think about yourself rightly, not too lowly, not too highly. What has God gifted you to do? And do that for his glory. I think that is good. I want to give you one more definition. I want to go back 1,700 years-ish to Augustine of Hippo. Moses' middle name. This is what he says. If you should ask me what are the ways of God, I would tell you that the first is humility, the second is humility, and the third is humility. (laughs) Not that there are no other precepts to give, but if humility does not precede all that we do, our efforts are fruitless. And here's a guy that's so divorced from our culture, we couldn't be more different, and he is echoing what these authors have said and what the book of Philippians is saying to us humility is necessary. I want to stop for a second and talk about the life of your mind and the life of my mind, because that idea is central to the argument of Philippians chapter two. He's saying, think this way. Think like Christ. Consider people worthy. That starts up here. Chris Lungard writing in The Enemy Within, which is itself highly based on John Owen's Puritan work, The Mortification of Sin. That's hard to read. Don't recommend that. I would recommend The Enemy Within. He talks about the mind as the watchtower of the soul, really pulling on John Owen and pulling on scriptures. When you think about passages like Romans 12, Colossians 3, 1 Peter 1, about the mind, the life of the mind in the Christian life, it is the watchtower of your soul. And so that's why... Paul, speaking by the Holy Spirit, God himself is telling us to, in our minds, start with humility. The first battle in humility is your mind. How you view other people, your perspective of what life is about and how you should think about other people. Your affections will follow what your mind says is good and they will go away from what your mind says is bad. Think about this situation um, as I... have done, unfortunately, many times, you go to the grocery store hungry. And in that situation, like I do a lot of times in the morning, having five, four kids, um, not five, four, <laughs> we go to the, I go to the store in the morning for groceries, right? And I'm hungry at that point, And my mind is latching on to all these things that I really need. I need that orange juice. I need those croissants. I need that cereal. And I'm sure Jen Lowe's, every time I go to the store in the morning, I end up with 50 more uh, $50 more of grocery than I need groceries than I need. And that's because my mind has said, I need that. And my affections follow. You ever been in a situation like that? Well, your mind never, Steve? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> praise God. <laughs> right? The first battle in humility of humility is the mind to consider, to think rightly about other people and about yourself. That's what Paul says to us. That's what the Holy Spirit is telling us through the book of Philippians, chapter 2. And just frankly, this is where it's worked out, relationships. Relationships is where this gets worked out. And that's what was going on in the book of Philippians. There's some discord. We're going to see that in chapter 4. There's a humility that's needed when you're attacked for the sake of the gospel. In those relationships, you ever thought about that? Paul's relationship with the jailers what humility it would take to live that way and preach Christ. I think the majority of our issues in life would be fixed if we considered others as more important than ourselves, humanly speaking at least, certainly in the church. I don't mean that you need to be passive or everyone's doormat in considering others more important than yourselves, What do I mean? Well, negatively, overall, I want to start here. Consider some of these situations. Your grandkids or kids asked you to read a book, but you've got work to do. What's humility there? This phrase has been ringing convictingly in my heart for weeks now. In humility, consider others more important than yourself. My kids are worthy of my affection and love if it's even just to read a book to them, when I feel like life is crazy, but they want that of me and they need it. I'm their dad. Consider this situation. Your friend needs a car ride or a car. That's happened here, but that's harder. Let's start with a car ride. But you've been wanting to go home and binge on the next great Amazon show or YouTube TV series or, I don't know, knit, whatever it is we do in our spare time. What's more important? What is more to the advancement of the gospel? Consider a situation at CBC when someone is really struggling seriously with discouragement, maybe even to the point of suicidal, or their kids are hurting and you don't know what to say, and it makes you feel uncomfortable, so you don't talk to them. You think about texting them, but you don't. Is that considering them worthy of your love? Is your comfort more important than their pain in that situation? Consider the situation when your neighbor needs help at the last minute. You don't know what they need, but you're thinking to yourself about some great alone time that you need. Man, God has worked more in our lives through last minute faithful yeses than He has in anything else. What's more important? One more. Consider the situation when you're getting older, as many of you are. Love you, Leonard. <laughs> it's great to see you here, brother. And you, your body hurts. And it's a real struggle for you. And, and it's difficult to come and interact with people that are full of energy and maybe even remind you of where you're at. And you can't stand the difficulties of interacting with young whippersnappers these days. What's more important, your comfort or their spiritual growth or their encouragement? It doesn't. It's all ages that God is speaking to here. I want to end positively on this note because I think you all have been such a great blessing to me and my family over many years. When people have physical needs, you meet them. Praise God, you consider others worthy of that. When people are hurting, you do pray for them. We saw answers to prayer from Reese and others today of that. And we pray that Will's brother, Caleb, will trust the Lord. Pray for that. You do that. Praise God. You have a long history, in my experience at least, of caring for the widows and the homeless and those in need. I've been in need and you have cared for me. Praise God. That's to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep on in that. Keep going, my friends. You give generously, and we fix a lot of cars here at CBC. Praise God. We really do. That is a practical way in which we consider others as more important than ourselves. And I guess my car isn't going to keep, it's going to keep breaking down, and other people's cars are going to keep breaking down. So thank you, Mihai. Press on, guys. Press on in that. In humility, consider others more important than yourselves. So if this is the command, that's kind of the way I look at it. Verses 1 through 4 kind of the command and the principle, in humility consider others more important than yourselves. What does that look like? And see, I heard an awesome quote. I think I was watching a plumbing video because I needed YouTube to help me do some plumbing. And they were talking about, these two guys were talking about, what's good, is experience the best teacher? And they said something I'll probably never forget. No, what's the best teacher? Guided experience think about that. And so Paul, anticipating that question, he's not going to just let us hang, right? Be humble. Consider others more important than yourselves. What does that look like? I know I'm like that. I need a concrete example. And so he anticipates that, the question that we and the Philippians would have and people for all time that have read this and says, I'll tell you, I'll show you how to do that. And I'll show you people who've done that. And he starts with one of the most beautiful passages in all of Scripture, with the mind of Jesus Christ. Humility. We'll be humbled when we look at Christ. That's just the reality of how God works. Consider His character and life for you. And I think that's the first thing this beautiful 6-11 through does. It gives a picture of Jesus Christ, a succinct one of His character and of His humility. It brings you to the Lord Jesus. If you want to be humble, come to the cross for a little bit and just sit a while. Just just in your mind's eye, picture the death of the Savior in your place and his life for you. That will produce humility. Stay a while at the foot of the cross and ponder what it means for you. Think about the beauty of Jesus. I don't think there's any greater way to bring humility in my life than in yours. And to look at all he's done for you and all, all that he is. This God man came to redeem you and me. That's humbling. Tim Keller says there are three things in this section about Jesus Christ that bring humility to us. Number one, he is God. You cannot escape this passage without being confronted with the fact that Jesus Christ is God. And it's in no uncertain terms two ways here. It talks about him being God. And it's usually translated in the form of God. Who being in the form of God. That's morphe, right? But usually, I think at least my mind, when I think form, I think outward appearance. I just want to briefly note that this word means inner essence. And it means whatever attributes or qualities that are required to be God, Jesus had them. His Godness is full. There's no doubt about it. He's fully God. All the attributes, attributes of divinity are His. There should be no doubt. And to back that up, looking at this famous kind of like emptying passage, it's interesting, the kenosis. I'll touch on it in a minute, but... What at least we have to say about that is to hold on to something, you have to have it, don't you? I can't hold on to something, a water bottle, if I don't already have it. And what does it say about Jesus? He did not hold on to what? Being God. He did not consider that something to grasp. And so it's absolutely clear to us here, if there's any doubt in your mind about the divinity of Jesus Christ, Philippians 2 answers that very clearly. He also says here, that for our humility, we should consider that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, added humanity. He added humanity to his nature. And that that humanity then is evidenced by his birth and his death. Humans are born and humans die. And in this beautiful poem, that is what Paul is presenting to us. And his whole life gives us a pattern. And I, I think we should also not miss here one important point about us in Adam, the first man, and Eve, the first woman. I, th- I don't think it's a mistake if you look at those two people compared to Jesus Christ. Jesus was in the form of God. God, they, Adam and Eve were men, mankind. They were in the form of men. What did they try to do? Grasp after godness. They wanted to be like God, and what happened because of that? They fell. They were judged, and they ruined life. Their pride, encouraged by Satan certainly, but their pride caused a great fall. Let's look at Jesus Christ over here. Being God, lowered himself. He didn't hold on to that. He had it, but he didn't hold on to it. And then because of that, he was exalted. They're exact opposites. This is a mirror. The good version (laughs) is coming out in Philippians 2. A perfect man, accomplishing what only God-man could do. So I didn't want to miss that today. But then, so, so what is the mind of Christ? What is the mind of Christ? If he says, have the mind of Christ, what is that mind? I think there are five things that we can see in the second half of this passage, 6 through 11, that reveal to us the inner motivations of Jesus Christ. And this is very interesting This is something that struck me throughout this week. This is a revelation of the heart of Jesus. This is not just some man telling us what he thinks God thought. This is Jesus Christ revealing his inner motives to you and me. It's a very intimate thing to do to reveal your motives regarding tough decisions and serious things that cause pain. I remember sitting with one of the people that had become very close to me, Um, Right as I was ending my seminary time, um, his name was Dr. Steve Strauss. And I was in his home as he reclined in a chair, barely able to speak and stay awake because he had stage four or five, I don't know the exact stages, pancreatic cancer. And he was undergoing chemotherapy. And a few years earlier, he had been diagnosed with that. And in 2013, his death was sure. And I was about to leave for India with my wife. We had no kids. It was a long time ago. And I was sitting there, and it was just one of those things where it's almost an out-of-body experience as he began to tell me the inner motivations for what he did. And he did it for my good. It was such a, such a life-forming thing. He told me why he went to Ethiopia to be a missionary. He told me why he came to DTS, quit that and came to DTS. And he told me why he believed God had given him cancer, because he had become proud. And I'm sitting there watching this dying mentor of mine just have the most humility I've ever seen in someone about to pass away and go meet the Lord. (laughs) I think that is a level of what we have here in Philippians 2. We have the mind of the Savior in five specific ways. The inner motivations of the Son of God. The tenderness and grace that He is for us. And so the first one, and I'm going to read them here, the actual text, I think it's important, is sacrifice. So how do we have humility? Well, we imitate Christ. And what was his humility like? It was sacrificial, sacrificial love. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. And again, that's that kenosis. It, it really is a leaving of privilege, um, The Greek lexicon says it's a divestiture of position or privilege, putting aside all that's due, and that is a sacrifice. I mean, think about how poorly Jesus Christ was treated on earth. Never sinned, never did one wrong thing, and people hated him. Think about the sacrifice that took to leave a place, glory with the Father, to add a body, to live with humanity and be rejected by everyone. When he was at his lowest moment, everyone had left him, except his heavenly Father. And so I guess the question is, what am I willing to sacrifice for humility's sake, for the unity of the body? Have you sacrificed for the Lord in your life? Not of a motive to get something from him, but because you love him. And you're willing to give up for him. What have you sacrificed out of love for the Lord and out of a humble mindset? That's the first thing that Jesus did to demonstrate humility. Second, service. Service two seven, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Mark ten forty five says, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. You know, it's an interesting thing when we serve. You ever been treated like a servant when you're serving? (laughs) Pride comes in your heart. When people demand things of you, maybe even rightly so because you're serving them, and they start to treat you like a slave, pride starts to well up. Jesus was a perfect servant. His service was without sin. And so I guess the question is, when people treat me like a servant, And when people treat me like a slave even, do I have the mind of Christ? Are we serving others sacrificially, humbly to have unity in the body of Christ? In service, we really begin to understand the heart of the Lord. It's easy to like pray for humility, but when you're out there and someone tries to treat you like junk because you're serving them (laughs) despite your service, then you need God's help. Then you begin to understand the mind of Christ and all he did for you and for me. Next, number three, submission. In 2.8, it says, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. John 5.19 says this, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. Being God of very God, he submitted himself to the father and did only what he was asked. <laughs> this one is <laughs> convicting for me. Being an American, I think this is very difficult. Obedience, submission, we don't like authorities. Take this one on. When the flight attendant comes on in the airplane and says, put your phone on airplane mode, and turn off your devices? Do you do it willingly? That's where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? When the police rightly pull you over for speeding, 40 and a 30, what is your attitude? Is it submission? When a boss asks you to help a coworker who's not doing his or her job, where's your heart? Where's my heart? When the elders ask the body to do something Do we willingly comply? That is honestly where the rubber meets the road. Obedience and submission to the people in charge of us, even though we may not like them, and even if they're wicked. Jesus submitted himself to the point of death. That's full submission and obedience. Are we, men and women, under the authority of God? I love that phrase. Steve Novakovich once said, That it's good to be people under authority. That when people look at you, you can say, that's a man under authority. That's a woman under authority. The mindset of Christ is submission to the will of the Father, come what may, for the advancement of the gospel. I pray that characterizes me more and us as a body more. Number four. I see this in verses 9 through 11. Delayed gratification. That's another hard one. (laughs) Humiliation and later exaltation. I'm going to read a portion there. It says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. As I was going through the Old Testament, looking at Christ in the Old Testament, that was my last series in the high school. It was really encouraging. But this pattern, maybe above all the others, is what stuck out to me. And our brothers in persecuted places and sisters know this far better than we do, I think. It is humiliation and humility first, and then exaltation. Suffering first, and then reward later. It just doesn't work differently. Think about so many of the lives in the Old Testament. We talked about one of them, David. What a pretty terrible life he had, running in caves and holes in the desert, having to get water where he could find it on the run, afraid of sleeping, lest Saul come and kill him. Humiliation and humility first, and then exaltation. Joseph, there's another story. What a terrible place he had to be in before God exalted him. You could talk about Abraham, you could talk about Elijah, you could talk about Paul or Peter, you could talk about you and me. That's the biblical pattern, and you can't escape it. And if you do, you're not like Christ, and you're not, dare I say, humble, trying to get out of that suffering. That's the biblical pattern. We just need to sit there, I think, in our lives when God brings it, that humbling, that humiliation, that suffering, so that we can have reward later, so that we can be exalted later. And so the question is, are we willing to wait for our reward from the Lord? It'll be greater than anything we could get here. Any houses, any amount of kids, any amount of financial blessing, relational blessing, whatever it is. Wait for the reward from the king. And finally, deferred glory. Deferred glory. I see this pattern in Christ's life. He pushed the glory for what was going on onto the Father. He said, I do this that you glorify me, but so that people would glorify you. I think this is a clear thing in Philippians. Think about what Paul says in chapter 1. He says, to the praise and glory of God. Here he says, to the glory of God the Father. Read with me here in 11, 10 and 11. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. That is the pattern of humility for us. Deferred glory. You know, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Are we doing that, or is the glory coming to you or me for whatever God has done? For unity, we have to be humble enough to say, you know what? Whatever God has done for me, it's for Him. Whatever He's done through me, it's for Him to His glory so that He looks good. And so, I guess the practical question is when we have success, when I have success, who gets the glory? Who do we praise? Who do we give thanks to? Well, Jesus gave thanks to his father. He glorified the father. And that was humble. I think the Lord Jesus demonstrates perfect humility here. Now, whether or not God is humble in his essence, I don't know, that's something we can debate later. I put that up there. I think maybe I'm going to punt on that. Is God humble? I don't know that I can answer that. Well, what I know is this, the mindset of the son of God and in his incarnation, when he added flesh, he absolutely demonstrated humility. And he's the only example, the greatest example, of perfect humility. So, how can the church at Philippi stand strong? What did they have to do? Well, if they follow the pattern of humility, joyfully set out by others. And the most important example of that was Jesus Christ in those five things I said. And that is what happens when we are, when we are joyfully humble Unity happens in our body, in our lives. Relationally, we get along with people better, and we, and God gets the glory. And as a church, we will continue to stand strong. Joy from progress, unity from humility, and Christ above all. Let me go ahead and pray that God would make us humble this week. Heavenly Father, this is a convicting message, I think. I know in my heart, pride tends to rise up at the, the crazy times, Lord, and, and sidetrack what you want to do in my own life. And I just pray as a body that we would be humble, that we would consider each other as more important than ourselves, and thus we would be unified for the advance of the gospel, that we would stand firm 100 years from now, if it's your will, Lord, however long you would have us here, that humility would be a defining character attribute of this body, and that we would be willing to sacrifice and submit to one another and obey you and give you the glory and all those things.